0: of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your Bible and turn with me back to uh, 1 Peter as we look at priorities from the Apostle Peter. When you get to know someone, you will obviously over time notice things that keep coming up, repetition, maybe priorities in that person's life. Uh, I've had the privilege of knowing my wife uh, for more than a decade, so after a decade I've started noticing a few priorities and, you know, things that'll come up. Uh, There are at least three priorities for my wife. And yes, she told me I could share this. Um, They are uh, coffee, comes up quite often uh, in our lives. And uh, LSU football uh, comes up a lot. And really good friendships, a one-on-one time with a friend, maybe lunch with a friend. She she really enjoys that. Now, if you want to make my wife happy on her birthday, what you can do, go find one of her best friends, buy her tickets to an LSU football game, and give her a few dollars for a cup of coffee. She'll be the happiest person in the world. So you can think for yourself, the people you know, and for yourself, the priorities, the things that keep coming up. When we think about the book of First Peter, and we think about the Apostle Peter, and by extension what God is saying in his word, what are some priorities that we are being taught that then we should have. And I want to highlight at least four things from 1 Peter that should be priorities. And you'll see them on the outline of your bulletin. Number one is faith. Number two is holy living. Number three is the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. And number four is Humility. Look with me at chapter 5, verse 12 for a moment. The very end of this letter, Peter gives us his purpose. What is the purpose of this letter? Chapter 5, verse 12 says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This grace of God is is what we stand firm in. So, as we look upon the grace of God, I want us to think about what is the role of faith in the grace of God? How does God's grace motivate us to holy living? How is that grace found in the suffering of the Christ? And how that grace results with humility in our lives, how we then walk humbly with God and with others. Now, the book of 1 Peter begins with a priestly introduction, not just an introduction, but a priestly one. And you'll see why in a moment. And then Peter goes straight into praising God for his salvation, which he says is through faith. Now, Peter is talking about these things, one reason, is because the readers that would have been originally listening to him, some of them would have been suffering. Some of them would have been going through various trials. And Peter was saying, these trials are testing the genuineness of your faith. That is, when you go through that trial, it exposes your faith. It tests it. And then he talks about faith being brings about the outcome of the salvation of your souls. And not only that, because we have this salvation, our hope is not only set on the grace of God today, we set our hope on future grace that will be given to us at the coming of Christ. And all of this gospel forms the basis for holy living, And we're going to give attention today on living holy lives, not just to live holy lives, but actually live who we are, which is chapter 2, verse 5. You are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Not just Moses, not just Aaron, but you, church. In Christ, Jesus has made you A priest. You are a priest. You are offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. You're being built up as a, not just a house, not just a physical house, but a spiritual house. And so Peter is saying who we are in Christ is going to have enormous implications for what you do day to day in your holy conduct. In fact, Peter doesn't just leave it generically as go out and be holy, and, and we just think generally about holiness. He says, okay, now let's get specific. In chapter 2 through 5, he then points out certain groups of people in the church. He talks about the holy lives of the servant, of the wives, of the husbands, of the elders, of the younger men, and of all of the church. All of these groups of people he's going to discuss— and say, here's how you conduct yourself in the world as a priest in Christ. And right in the middle of the discussion about husbands and elders, we see this call from God to humility and the suffering of Christ there in chapter 3, verse 8, through chapter 4, verse 19. So with all of this in mind, Let's think about these four priorities. Priority number one for spiritual priests in the household of God, priority number one is our faith. God is very concerned about what you believe and about your faith, about your trust, about trusting in God. And you say, Alex, who is this God in whom I should trust? Well, First Peter would say he is a God that is merciful and full of grace. He is a God who has the power to raise the dead. He is a God who is completely holy, perfectly holy, and an impartial judge. Nobody will be able on judgment day to come before God and say, well, well, God, I have a 401K, or... You know, I'm a I'm a engineer at this this famous uh, business. Or this is my dad. God, do you know who I am? God could easily look at you and say, "Do you know who I am?" God is impartial. Completely impartial. And it's kind of hard to grasp that because we live in the world, sometimes in businesses or families, where somebody might get a little bit of partiality because of who they are. But when we're before the judgment seat of Christ, He is completely impartial. The most perfect, righteous judge, and completely holy. This God in whom we should trust is also aware of world events. As we are tempted to fear when we see world events, God is completely aware of what's going on in the world. And not only is he aware of world events, he's aware of an individual suffering. He's even aware, as we see in 1 Peter, he's aware of the details of your marriage, husbands and wives. He knows what's going on behind closed doors. Behind closed doors... It's not just the husband and the wife, it's the husband and the wife and God. God is aware of your marriage. Men, God is aware of behind closed doors. Love your wife. God is a God who listens to the prayers of the saints. He is a God in first Peter whose sovereign will is a comfort to the hurting. His moral will is superior to human's moral will or morality. He is patient with us. He gives us gifts, and he helps us endure suffering. So when we say, come, believe, have faith in Christ, or Christian, continue to have faith in Christ, this is the type of God that we are saying to trust in. So when life is going like a train wreck, I used that word the other day with one of my brothers. I said, life's just a train wreck sometimes. You can trust in this God. This is the God who's calling you. Do you trust me? Like a good dad who looks at his kids and says, hey, son, daughter, trust me. I've got your best interest in mind. You might not understand what I'm telling you right now, but trust me. Even more so, God is calling us to faith, to trust Him. And why is it so important to make a priority of faith? It has to do with nothing less than the salvation of mankind. Because God said, Here is how you are saved. The other day, when Pastor Blair was preaching, And he called for the response, and he said it was faith, and my heart jumped. Yes, it's faith. It's trust in God is how mankind is saved from sin. It becomes important to us. It becomes our priority now. It becomes your priority now. Faith is my priority. When something is your priority, you know everything about it. The the football fan, I love to see a football fan Make football a priority, you know, just a fun priority. What, what will they do? Off, the, off memory, they'll tell you the stats of the players. They tell you who won five years ago. I have no idea who won a game five years ago, but they'll tell you who won the history. They'll tell you what coaches are, are being hired. They know the place. They know everything about the game. Why? Simply because it's their priority. Football is their priority. So I'm just going to tell you everything about it. They're not even trying. They just love it. They're not even trying to memorize this stuff. They just memorize it, right? Faith is how mankind is saved from our sin. Of course that's our priority. It's the salvation of the world. So your faith and hope are in God. Now, Peter then says, or shows, okay, how does this life of faith, how is it lived out? So priorities number two and three, holy living and the suffering of Jesus. And I say two and three at the same time very intentionally, because our second priority and third priority are related in that the suffering of Jesus is the very basis of our holiness and our holy living. So while I'm going to break them apart and first talk about your holy life, know that it is related to and it is the, very, the suffering of Jesus is the foundation of our holy living. And you'll see this relationship. Look with me again at chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So do you see that in the first letter of Peter? He talks about, you shall be holy, for I am holy, of course, quoting the Old Testament. And then he says, knowing you were ransomed from your futile ways with the precious blood of Christ. That's why, church, you're going to live a holy life as a priest in God's house. Because you were ransomed with, remember the priestly language, with the blood of Christ. Remember chapter 1, verse 2, for the sprinkling with his blood, that priestly language. So, because of that, and because of the suffering of Christ, which is how we're sprinkled with his blood, we then live out a holy life, being holy as God is holy. Now, holiness in 1 Peter is often related to living a holy life in the midst of a corrupt world. Now, in this sermon, when I say world, I'm going to talk about the evil world system and the sin, okay? Okay? So, we are living holy within this sinful world. And Peter, by extension God, wants us to think about us prioritizing if this is God's priority for us, now it is our priority, our holy conduct in the world. So, let's ask a few questions. Are you concerned with the holiness of how you think? Are you concerned with the holiness of what comes out of your heart then out of your mouth? Are you concerned with the holiness of your life and body as offering spiritual sacrifices to God? Chapter three, are you concerned for the holy conduct of your marriage? Married or single? Chapter 4, verse 3. Are we concerned with the holy lives of sexual purity? Now, one of the dangers of even asking those questions about living a holy life is that we can nod in agreement and walk out the doors and just think in very general terms, but not really going and living holy lives. Just generally saying, okay, I'm gonna live a holy life, generally speaking, but really not do anything day to day of living holy. That's one of the dangers of this discussion. So let me get just one specific example. And I want to talk to the young men in the church. And I I think I've said this before. I'm going to try to still be a young man. I'm about 38. I think that, that still kind of categorizes as young men, I think. So let me speak to the young men in the church. This is something I've thought about for years and years and tried to practice. In your own life, have you thought about, young men, where your eyes go? Day to day, what you look at. No matter where you're at, I'm not even talking about behind closed doors. Everywhere you're at, where do your eyes go, young men? Let me tell you something, young men. You get to choose where your eyes go, not the world. And you say, but Alex, the world throws all kinds of things day to day at me. Learn to turn your eyes quicker. But then, living a holy life is not just turning your eyes away from something you don't need to see. It's turning your eyes to Christ. Look to Christ, young men. Look to Christ. Isn't this similar to how the Psalms open? Psalms chapter 1. It doesn't just say, don't stand in the way of sinners. It says your delight is in the law of the Lord. You're actively pursuing holiness. You're turning your eyes to Christ. Young men, you can choose to look to Christ and not to the sinful things of the world. That's where your eyes go, young men. Now, while we are to live holy lives, of course, I'm not saying that we can attain holiness by doing things. Remember, I said the second priority and third priority are related. This is all from the basis of the suffering of Christ. In fact... While God does require of us complete holiness, because he requires of us complete holiness, he says we were ransomed from our futile ways with the precious blood of Christ. That, that's why we had to have the blood of Christ applied to us, because God does, did, and still does require complete holiness, so we need the blood of Christ. It's not as though God just lowered his standard. no. His standard is still complete holiness, but he has now applied the blood of Christ to our lives because we have sinned. Because we have been unholy before a holy God. So, priority number three then is in First Peter, the suffering of Jesus. I want you to look at your bulletin on your outline and you will see verse after verse of the suffering of Jesus in First Peter. Again, it's a priority. Chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Chapter 3, verse 18. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, verses 12 through 19. Chapter 5, verse 1, verse 9 through 10. Again and again and again, Peter is going to talk about the suffering of Christ. So let's look at one example in chapter 2, verse 21. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So right there in verse 21, Christ suffered for us so that we could follow in his steps. What kind of steps do you think those will be? The one we're following is the one who suffered and the one who lived righteously. That will show you the kind of steps, brother and sister, that you will be stepping in. Now, in, in the first letter of Peter, when we think about the suffering of Jesus, so here's the teaching time, okay? I want to I do seven things Seven things that are taught in First Peter about the suffering of Jesus, okay? Very quick, this is just one sentence. These are seven things we learn about the suffering of Jesus. Number one, the suffering of Jesus was foretold in the Old Testament. For example, Isaiah 53 that we just read. First Peter teaches, number two, that the suffering of Jesus happened even though Jesus was completely innocent. He did not suffer because he did anything wrong. Number three, the suffering of Jesus was where he suffered and trusted the Father instead of lashing out in retaliation. He just trusted the Father. Trust, faith. Number four. The suffering of Jesus was excruciating to his body on the tree. It was painful. And that pain was because of our sins the sins we committed when we were spiritually wandering off on our own way like sheep. That was his pain. Number five, the suffering of Jesus had a purpose. And in First Peter, that purpose is for us to live holy lives now. We're enabled to live holy lives now one reason why he suffered, to make you a priest. And you do what priests do, offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Number six, his suffering was for another purpose as well, is to bring you to God, to bring his followers to God. And finally, you'll see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, that the suffering of Jesus was and is historically verifiable. It was historically verifiable. Allow me just to comment on a couple of these. Number one, the suffering of Jesus was foretold in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, 6 states, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That sounds similar to things like Peter saying, our sins in his body on the tree, he bore them. And he did this again because God is holy. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. Because God is holy. One commentator, J. Alec Moitier, writing on Isaiah 53, he, he makes this statement, and I, this is my one quote of the day, because it's that powerful. This commentator writes, But what makes sin an issue, an eternal crisis, is the nature of God were God morally indifferent we would still regret sin but in an ultimate sense it would not matter God however is holy holiness is his essential state everything about him is holy his name is holy his love is holy in the Bible holiness is the constitutive fact of God very well then Until that holiness is satisfied, there can be no salvation for the sinner. That's what makes gospel good news. Jesus saved me from that. Jesus saved me from the consequences of my sins that are an affront to a holy God. And then I get grace. I get life. I get fellowship with God. And not only do I get this salvation eternally, but let me comment on one of those other points. Now I'm enabled to live a holy life. The suffering of Jesus not only saves you, This call to be holy as I am holy, God says, I'm now enabled to do that. In Christ, in the Spirit, I can live out a holy life. That is, Jesus bearing our sins allows us to lead a holy and healed life. So, priority number one, faith. Priority number two, holy living. Priority number three, the suffering of the Messiah. So finally, priority number four, humility. I don't know why I love this point. I love thinking about walking humbly. And what does that mean? I think it means at least two things. One, Toward one another, I'm gonna think about your needs above my own. I'm gonna think about you. I'm gonna think about you, brother. I'm gonna think about you, my wife. I'm gonna think about you, my friend. I'm humble toward you. I'm thinking about your interest and your needs. Secondly, humble before God would be what? I am humbling myself under, Peter would say, under his mighty hand. You submit yourself, men and women, you submit yourself to God, knowing that his hand is powerful. Now, why would this be so important? Why would it be important for me to think about the priority of humility, that I make it my priority to live a humble life before God and before others? Chapter 5, verse 5. Because if you are a proud person and you walk around and you don't need anything in anybody and you definitely don't need God and you are a prideful person chapter 5 verse 5 says God opposes the proud God opposes you if you are proud But he gives grace to the humble. So the humble Christian, God gives grace to. That is why this would be an important priority. When you leave today, what are some of my priorities in my life as a priest? Is to walk humbly and God will give me grace Now, humility is not just a priority for Peter. Humility is a priority in all of Holy Scripture. In the Old Testament writings, you have things like the princes of Israel and the king humbling themselves before the Lord because a prophet comes and says, You've abandoned the Lord. And they hear that and they say, Yes, we have. And they humble themselves before the Lord, they repent. We see pride and humility in the Old Testament writings. We see humility in the wisdom of Proverbs. In Proverbs, humility is the way of honor. The Old Testament prophets, when they're calling like the prophet Zephaniah, when he's saying, seek the Lord, he's saying, you humble of the land, seek the Lord. When we come to the Gospels, What do we see in Jesus? Jesus himself says, I am meek and humble in heart. So we are following in his steps. We are following Jesus. And the one we're following is saying, I am meek and humble in heart. So of course that's going to be the priority when I leave church today. That's my Savior's position of humility in heart. The early church, such as the Apostle Paul, when he was serving, he would say, I'm serving the Lord with all humility. Many of you are serving the Lord today. You are abounding in the work of the Lord. Do so with all humility is the call of God in your service. And then, of course, in First Peter, First Peter, we are called to humility. And then I was thinking, but what about the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, at the end of Scripture, the humble are exalted, is what's happening. The humble of the land, the church, all of a sudden we are exalted. In Revelation chapter 21, one of the angels shows John the bride, the wife of the lamb. And when he says, I'll show you the wife of the lamb, the bride, what happens? He sees the holy city coming down, and this holy city It's coming with the glory of God. It's got a high wall. It's got 12 beautiful gates. Then it's got these 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The humble will be one day exalted. So, to wrap this all up, today. Stand firm in the grace of God by rethinking today, what are my priorities in life? The world will give you everything else, every reason, all kinds of priorities, do this, do that, smoke this, indulge in that, gratify this, participate in that, and they'll pretend like this is supposed to be a good priority as if it's going to help us. Not seeing that it only leads to misery and God's judgment. But God says, I've got something more important for you, church. I've got priorities for you. Such as faith, holy living, set your eyes on the suffering of Christ, and humility. Let's pray. Father, you hear the prayers of the righteous so your word says oh lord i pray for the church today i pray for my brothers and sisters that your word would sink deep into our hearts and bear fruit and what is true of from your word what is right anything that has been explained that is correct. Lord, I pray that it would help them in their walk with Christ and that grace would be with them. And I pray peace to all of those who are in Christ. In the holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.